0: Welcome back again to Crossing the Jordan, everybody. I pray that you are doing wonderful. And if you're thinking that, hey, this episode is out much earlier than usual, you are right. This is really just an extension of the last episode on on our series of salvation. Our topic on the last episode was the Holy Spirit. And what happens is, leading up to an episode... There's a lot of things that are on my mind and I feel like the Lord is uh, sharing more and more things about about this certain topic, but also this happens after recording the episode. And so oftentimes I'll actually go back and just record a little part and then insert it into the original episode a little bit. But this one was uh, so long and you know, there's so many other things that I wanted to say about the Holy Spirit and it's going to be endless of what we could say about the, the life of the Spirit, but <clears throat> there is more. We we can say so. I just figured, you know what? I'll make a short little episode about the more of the Holy Spirit, and uh, and it's gonna really follow the exact same frame of what we did last time. Um, And the topic of salvation, uh, we talked about uh, in our last episode about the the Holy Spirit. We talked about how the Holy Spirit is who he is, which is eternal God. He's the eternal love shared by the Father and the Son, and he's referred to as a person, so he's eternal God. We talked about where he was in salvation history, from creation all the way through the end. We've talked about how uh, he makes us children of God, but not only in this episode, not only does he make us children of God, he makes us so much more in Jesus. And so we're going to talk about that briefly again today. Um, we talked about how he reveals or bears witness to Jesus. He glorifies Jesus and he reveals truth and oftentimes reveals tr- truth of what Jesus uh, spoke and what he taught us. Um, and then he t- the Holy Spirit teaches us how to pray. The Holy Spirit convicts. He unites us in one spirit. Uh, he purifies us. And then we also talked about the virtues, fruits, gifts, and charisms of the Holy Spirit, and we talked about how uh, you do not charisms do not prove or show that you are saved. Jesus and Saint Paul are very clear that the answer to that question is no. that charisms do not follow or are a logical conclusion that you are saved. So this one we're going to be talking about, it's the kind of the same agenda or same outline, so to speak, but it's just a little bit more on a few points. So on this one, um, we're going to be going again through just briefly, again, the salvation history of a beautiful way to summarize it and also to pull out some Old Testament scripture that we're going to be talking about um, I'm going to also be talking about very quickly uh, so, um, how the Holy Spirit and the life of the church. Um, we went into that depth into depth in the last episode, but we're going to go in a little bit more. Then we're going to be talking about all the, uh, the even more of what the Holy Spirit makes us. It's not just He makes us a child of God, but he makes us all of these other things that we're going to go into. We're going to be talking about uh, how he reveals Jesus, uh, praying in the Holy Spirit, and how he convicts. Then we're going to briefly clarify a few other points on the topic of charisms. And then we'll say a little prayer to the Holy Spirit at the end. So um, yeah, so we're going to get right into it. So this... uh, the, to start off, the title of the episode of Your Advocate, the Holy Spirit, was to be in direct contrast to the episode right before in the series of salvation, which was Your Adversary, the Devil. So we had an entire episode on the devil and who he is, but in this episode, it's Your Advocate, the Holy Spirit. It's a explicit and a meaningful contrast between who our ally or our advocate is, the Holy Spirit, versus our adversary, the devil. And so, and that is not to put them on the same playing field. It's to show that the one who, the you know, how uh, St. John, he could say in his first letter that he who lives in us is he who he, is greater than he who is in the world because the Holy Spirit is eternal God. <laughs> there is no competition between the Holy Spirit and the devil. The devil, again, as we talked about, is a fallen angel, a creature of, of God. And so he's very limited, but he's very powerful and more than our humanity can bear, but uh, the Holy Spirit is more powerful than he, and the Holy Spirit abides in us. And so um, that title is supposed to be kind of contrasting your advocate, your ho- your ally, the Holy Spirit who lives in you is greater than he who is in the world, who is your adversary, the devil. And so Let's get right into a little bit more of the overview of salvation history. So the first thing I would would like to do is actually, we talked about last time, we talked about how uh, the Holy Spirit was there at at the time of creation, and we showed that the Holy Spirit was there throughout all of salvation history uh, through the inspiring of the law and the prophets um, until the fullness of time uh, in the time of Jesus, and we talked about all of that. So what I want to start out with is just uh, two scripture verses from the Old Testament that uh, also are these prophetic messages of the Holy Spirit. This, until the fullness of time came, the fullness of Jesus, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, and the fullness of the Trinity was fully revealed. But Ezekiel 36, verses 24 through 28, this is a beautiful prophetic message about how the Holy Spirit would be given in baptism and what what baptism, what the Holy Spirit does in our baptism. And so Ezekiel 36, starting in verse 24, it says, For I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. A new heart I will give you And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will take out of your flesh the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to observe my ordinances. You shall dwell in the land which I give to your fathers. And you shall be my people and I will be your God. So this beautiful prophetic message in Ezekiel about how the Holy Spirit will be given to us in baptism, that God, he's going to take us from the nations, this exile in this broken world that we live in. He's going to gather us in into, and fill us with the, he's going to cleanse us through this, this water, which uh, is the Holy, the Holy Spirit. And he's going to cleanse us. He's going to give us a new heart, give us a new flesh, as it says in Jeremiah as well, about this new covenant reality. It will be an internal transformation. And that he is going to put his spirit within us and that we are going to be uh, his people and he will be our God. And that's exactly what baptism does. And that's exactly what Ezekiel is prophesying to, is this powerful uh, reality of the new covenant baptism, that we receive the Holy Spirit and all that it makes us clean holy, gives us a new heart and a new spirit, gives us power, gives us the power of Jesus, uh, and um, brings us into this new covenant reality that, and even in the midst of this exile in this broken world, that we live as uh, a part of the new creation and God and what he's promised us, and he is our God and we are his people. And the second verse I would like to point out is uh, Joel, the prophet Joel, chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. And this is actually referenced by St. Peter um, after uh, Pentecost happens in Acts chapter 2, verses 17 through 21. So I'll read it there. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your da- daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Yes, and my men servants and my maid servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. So, this again is a beautiful Old Testament prophetic word about how God is going to pour out his spirit, and all, all of us will become made sons and daughters, children of God in this Holy Spirit, and we will live a supernatural life even in this life. And so St. Peter here directly addresses that Pentecost is the fulfillment of this prophetic message. But that continues through our confirmation. And so we see through the book of Acts where people will be baptized and then the, the bishops, the apostles would come from Jerusalem um, and because nobody, n- nobody can do this outside of the bishop or a priest that's delegated to it uh, from the bishop. And, but the bishops or the apostles in the book of Acts will lay hands and then they will be filled with the Holy Spirit and they will begin speaking in tongues and prophesying and they'll work miracles. And so that's supposed to be the normal life of of a person who receives the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not saying that every single person uh, is going to have these these charisms, but we are going to be filled with the Holy Spirit and we are going to be mystically moving in the body of Christ to build up the body of Christ and also to bring more and more people into this new covenant church uh, of Jesus Christ. And so those were two scripture verses of the Old Testament that I wanted to uh, speak to both on baptism and on confirmation and how that's fulfilled in the new covenant. And the last thing I wanted to do was uh, uh, have this beautiful way of, again, summarizing the Holy Spirit in salvation history and being fulfilled in the new covenant in Jesus. It's going to be a, a beautiful way of summarizing all of this. So we talked about last time how the Holy Spirit is is seen at the time of creation. How the Holy Spirit, the Spirit, hovers above the waters, and that's actually referenced again in John chapter in John chapter three verse five. And the entire context of the first several uh, chapters of the Gospel of John is the new creation, because how he says, "In the beginning, the Word was with God," and th- this is supposed to be contrasted with the very very beginning. How he says, "In the beginning." and how God spoke creation into being. And then the Gospel of John also goes through the first day, the set, or uh, the next day, the next day, the next day, and then on the third day. So he goes through again the new creation, how he goes through uh, days one through day seven, just as the, the creation story in Genesis. So Jesus is this new creation. So We see here in John 3, 5 how baptism of the water and the Holy Spirit is the fulfillment of this. We're being uh, infused into this new creation of how the Holy Spirit hovered above the waters at the first creation. But the Gospel of John goes even further than that. So uh, in Ezekiel 47, there is this image that Ezekiel has. The prophet Ezekiel in in the Old Testament sees this image of this water that's issuing below from the threshold of the temple from the east side. Okay. So the temple in in Jerusalem, which was the center of all Israelite uh, life, all Jewish life was the temple in Jerusalem. Um, Issuing forth from the temple was on the east side, this water. And then he goes ankle deep and then knee deep. And then he's all the way up into his loins. And then he's fully covered in, in the, in the, in the water. And then it goes on to say how this water that was being flowed from the temple, how it went down into the Dead Sea and gave life to everything that was in the Dead Sea. So the Dead Sea, a fish goes in there and dies. And yet, And here, this beautiful image of the water flowing from the east side of the temple goes down and then he goes into, but also it gives this, it goes into the Dead Sea, this lowest point on earth that uh, nothing can live in. And yet this fresh water will give life to the Dead Sea so that there is freedom and fullness of life. Um, And it'll give life to the, the fish and everything that's by it. Anything that touches this water will live. And so this image is picked up by John though. So Jesus, throughout the Gospels, clearly shows and teaches that he, that, that the temple in the Old Covenant was just a mere shadow, but he is the true temple. He is the true dwelling place of God. He is the true place of the center of the life, life of the Jews, and he truly is the fulfillment of everything that happened in the temple, of entering into the Holy of Holies as our high priest and our lamb. And so he offers sacrifice on behalf of the people there. So he is the true temple. And this, listen to what he says in uh, John chapter 7, verse, starting in verse 37, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and proclaimed, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of the, his heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, which those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And really quick on that last point about Jesus not yet being glorified, he actually, the Gospel of John actually points to the crucifixion as being to the glory of God. He says that that Jesus has not yet been glorified yet because his hour has not yet come. And his hour was during the life, his, his passion. And so we know that uh, Jesus, his glory would be when he pours out himself on the cross. And so that, that, that last hour. But also in this scripture, it talks about how he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. So actually there's a lot of people re, uh, think of this as if I believe in him, then then rivers of, li- ri- river, <laughs> rivers of living water will flow out of my heart. But actually uh, in the scripture verse, it actually may also be indicative of Jesus, be, his heart being the one that water flows forth into the person that uh, believes in him. And so he's showing here that Jesus is referring to himself as the true temple and also that he is going to be giving this life-giving spirit just as Ezekiel 47 was. And then we go to John chapter 19. This is at the time of the crucifixion. In John chapter 19, verse 34, it says that one of the soldiers pierced the side with, with a spear and at once there came out blood and water. And so here we see the fulfillment of what Jesus said is that out of his heart would flow rivers of living water. And this is, this blood in this water is again fulfilled in this, is fulfilling this, that Ezekiel 47 image. Whereas in Ezekiel 47, it was the temple and on the right side flowed this, this life-giving water. Jesus in John seven says that he's going to give life-giving water out of his heart and then in John chapter nineteen, his heart is actually pierced, and it comes out blood and water that gives life to the world. And it doesn't say it in this, in scripture, but you'll often see on a crucifix how it shows that the the marks the mark where Jesus was pierced was on the right side. And why is that? Because the the church and people and and art, uh, you know, picking up on all that Jesus did, and he fulfills everything in the Old Testament. Is Ezekiel forty seven. Is it was on the east side or on the right side, and so Jesus is pierced on the right side. And actually, I mean, he scientifically could because uh, be pierced there, and his heart be pierced be on even on the right side because his heart would be enlarged. But um he was pierced on the east side of the temple. So Jesus, he his body is the true temple, and his heart is the altar. This sacred place where the blood and water, this life-giving blood and water, flows out from the side of the temple and gives life to the dead things, just as Ezekiel 47 did. And we see this in the fulfillment uh, as well in Revelation 22, 1 through 4. And so this is in the last chapter of the entire Bible. This is at the end of time, and it says this, starting in verse 1 of chapter 22. Then he showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There shall no more be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall worship him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads, and night shall be no more. They need no light or of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And so this beautiful image of, again, the temple, the throne of God, throne of the lamb, this life-giving water flowing is truly what happened at the crucifixion and what happens at mass. And we, we receive this life-giving water. Jesus as the true temple, his heart, the sacred, his sacred heart. This is why we, we adore his sacred heart is because it is that, that altar um, that Ezekiel 47 where the that life-giving water and the blood of the sacrifices would flow would be from the east side out of the temple from the altar. Jesus, he is the true temple and his heart is the altar and out of the right side or the east side flows out the the life-giving water and also the blood of the sacrifice that gives life to the world. And so this entire this salvation history from creation from Ezekiel 47 points to John seven and to John nineteen and to Revelation twenty-two. In the fullness of time, Jesus as the true temple would give his heart and the blood and water would give life to the world. And so that is a just a beautiful, really quick imagery of how the Gospel of John and in Revelation, the same author, picks up on this beautiful prophetic image of, of Ezekiel forty-seven. Jesus as the true temple, Jesus as the true altar, Jesus giving life-giving waters. Um, which is the Holy Spirit. And so that is a beautiful way to summarize or, or do an overview of the salvation history on the Holy Spirit that comes forth from Jesus. So moving on to the rest of the episode is really quick on, um, we talked about the, how the the entire life of the church is the life of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. We, like the church can't do anything except by the Holy Spirit. And so the entire, we talked about that, how the entire life of the church is animated by the Holy Spirit. Um, I was talking to, uh, this was like in 2018, I was talking to a, a guy in a grocery store and I said, I'm going on the Camino, anything I can pray for you and we're just gonna be led by the Holy Spirit. And he was like, He's like, you're Catholic? And I was like, yeah. He's like, I've never heard uh, a Catholic talk about the Holy Spirit. (laughs) And so, uh, one, that's really sad. But two, I don't think he's actually uh, talked or know a lot of Catholics because the Catholics I know are in love with the Holy Spirit. And so, um, but also one thing that he said was, that the church isn't just a building. He was saying this, implying as if us Catholics believe that this church is like this this rigid place of a building, and the church doesn't teach that. We've never taught that. We've never believed that. We could be the Catholic Church with no building at all. Um, the holy the the church is the people of God united in the Spirit, um, and so uh, the the church is not a building totally agree. And go back and listen to our episode about the entire life of the church and the sacraments are the life of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, the entire liturgical life of the church, the sacramental life of the church, even the how the canon of the scripture was formed and scripture itself breathes on us the Holy Spirit, the church teaches. And so, yes, the church is imbued with the life of the Spirit. Um, and then we talked about last time about how the Holy Spirit makes us children of God. But even more than that, He makes us into Jesus. So what Jesus made possible, the Holy Spirit makes actual in our lives. And we talk about this all the time in our identity. What Jesus is by nature, we become by grace. And this is by the grace of the Holy Spirit. So we can do nothing without the Holy Spirit. Apart from Jesus, apart from the Holy Spirit, we can do nothing. Um, And this Holy Spirit is so powerful. In 2 Corinthians 5.17 and in Galatians 6.15, St. Paul says that, that in Christ, we become new creations. And we are only in Christ if we have his spirit that dwells in us, as Romans 8 says. And so we are made new, new creations. And this is not a flimsy statement, this is a reality. That we've become partakers of the divine nature, that we participate in the Spirit who is God, that the love of God be poured into our hearts, that our hearts would be made new, that we'd be transformed, that we would have power over the enemy, that we would destroy strongholds by this Holy Spirit, that we would see signs, wonders, healings, and miracles, we would hear God's voice in a new way, we we become children of God by divine uh, adoption that we literally become divinized and glorified in this Holy Spirit, that we move from glory to glory by the Holy Spirit and we are given freedom by the Holy Spirit. Like these are not flimsy statements. This is a radical life of joy, peace, and righteousness in the Holy Spirit moved in power and love. And the Holy Spirit makes us into everything that Jesus is and gives us power to do everything that Jesus did in his humanity. And uh, Jesus, as the Messiah, he even refers to the Holy Spirit. this is his mission statement. in Luke 4 verse 18 through 19 he says this, "The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And so Jesus, he as the Messiah, is anointed with the Holy Spirit. And in Acts 10.38, uh, this is St. Peter. He's talking he, in verse 38 of chapter 10 of Acts. St. Peter says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, how he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And so the works of Jesus become the works of works of the church and the works of his disciples by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, we too can say in Luke four eighteen, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to preach the good news and to heal and to recover and to set at liberty those who are oppressed by the devil. And in Acts ten thirty eight, that God anointed us so that we can go and destroy the works of the devil and to set free and heal all those who are oppressed by the devil because God is with us. It's because the life of Jesus becomes the life of all Christians. And the title of, Christians, as we talked about in the last episode briefly as well, is not a flimsy statement either. Christians means little Christs. Christ is anointed, the Messiah. We are little Christs because we are conformed. We are united. We are one body, one spirit with Jesus. And Jesus came to fight and to liberate. So the mission of Jesus is the mission of the Holy Spirit in us. So what Jesus did, which was to come to fight and to liberate, uh, the Holy Spirit does the exact same thing, and in Ephesians six seventeen, Saint Paul, as he's talking about how we are to be clothed with the whole armor of God, he says that we are to have the the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So the sword of the Spirit. So with this Holy Spirit, we destroy, we take down the the enemy of the fallen angels and lies, and we uh, we take we take captive every single thought captive, we talk, take every single thought captive to Christ and we destroy strongholds with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so if this is true, then it is not enough to just be cleansed of sin, but we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is the entire point of uh, what Jesus talks about in Matthew 12 verses 43 through 45. And again, as we talked about before, how the Holy Spirit is often to referred to as if, um, or symbolized by water. By water, so in Matthew 12, verses 43 through 45, Jesus says this: When the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he passes through waterless places seeking rest, but he finds none. Then he says, "I will return to my house from which I came, and when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and brings with him seven other spirits more evil than himself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that man became becomes worse than the first. So Jesus is saying that this man, he, an unclean spirit, has gone out of him. And then the spirit was seeking waterless places, places where the Holy Spirit is not. And he comes back to this man who is cleansed. Everything's put in order, but nothing's filling this man's house, his heart, his mind, his soul, so to speak, which is the Holy Spirit. He needs to be living a life of the spirit. We need to be living a life of the spirit filled with the spirit so that no evil spirits can come in. Um, and this is why it is not just for us, our lives to be put in order to be good people. No, we need to be living a life of power in the Holy Spirit. And so that, the whole, that these unclean spirits that come out of us, that, that leave us, that we destroy, that the Holy Spirit destroys in us, uh, does not return. Um, because we, it's not enough just to be emptied. We need to be filled with God, with the life of God. And speaking of being filled with the life of God in 1 Corinthians, there's t- two times that St. Paul says that we are temples of the Holy Spirit in uh, chapter 3, verse 16, and chapter 6, verse 19. He says, Do you not know that you are temples of the Holy Spirit and that God's Spirit dwells within you and that God's temple is holy? So, St. Paul is talking about our bodies being temples of the Holy Spirit, which which was a place of worship, our place of sacrifice, a place of holiness, a place of where God's Spirit dwelled. And so we become temples of the Holy Spirit. And that's not flimsy language. This is a reality. So he makes us holy, but also we are to be holy. We are to be yielded to the Spirit of all times, to not put, to not uh, gratify the desires of the flesh, but by the Holy Spirit mortify or put the death, the deeds of the flesh. And so the reality of us being temples of the Holy Spirit is also why St. Paul can say in Romans 12.1 that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Because our bodies, temples of the Holy Spirit is where sacrifices happened, where holiness was, where the center of the lives were. And so we become temples of the Holy Spirit and our bodies become what is offered no longer are we offering or offering these external sacrifices, although we do do that, but also we put our entire lives on the, the place of sacrifice in the Holy of Holies with Jesus, that we give our entire lives to him, that we do not count the cost. Um, and then, so we live a life filled with the Holy Spirit. Our bodies, our minds, our thoughts, our souls are supposed to be filled with the life of the Spirit. In Ephesians 4.30, St. Paul says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. And so when we move, we move with docility, we move with love, we move with attentiveness, we move with discernment, we move with always calling on the Holy Spirit, we move with, Holy Spirit, what are you doing? What are you saying? Where are you taking me? Help me listen better. Help me do all these things better. Invite the Holy Spirit into every single aspect of our lives. And because there's always more, there is no such thing as a mini Holy Spirit. The person who's just baptized and the person who's been walking uh, life charismatically for 50 years in the Holy Spirit have the exact same spirit. The person who is a baby and just was baptized has the same Holy Spirit as a person who's 30 years old. The same Holy Spirit abides in every single person that's been baptized and is united in Jesus, and there is no age gender race that everybody has a different spirit for no we have there's one holy spirit and there is no many holy spirit the holy spirit is power and so this powerful holy spirit abides in all of us and so there's always more continue asking for more and more and more and jesus i repent right now for not asking for more you love to give us good things and the greatest gift is the holy spirit so we ask for more um and not only do we talk about all the things that the holy spirit does but also even in saint paul says in romans 12 3 that no one can say jesus is lord except by the holy spirit so when even by the holy spirit they they the holy spirit reveals and convicts us that jesus is risen and alive but also by this holy spirit we say jesus is lord of our lives lord meant to be a person with complete authority whatever they say goes they have dominion over them jesus is lord of our lives. It means that there is no aspect of our lives for which he does not have dominion over. We invite him into everything because he is the one that gives life. He is the one that's full of goodness, truth, and beauty, and of what our hearts long for. And so we invite him into everything. So only by the Holy Spirit can we say Jesus is Lord and mean it, meaning it by the way that we live, meaning by the way that we speak, the way that we listen, the way that we, we, we react, the way that we carry ourselves, and we, the way that we walk in the life of Jesus. And we also talked about how the Holy Spirit teaches us how to pray. But not only that, in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, and actually right after that too, St. Paul says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. But in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, that's the part where St. Paul says, pray without ceasing. But also in Ephesians 6.18, St. Paul says, pray at all times in the Spirit. Pray at all times in the Spirit. And so the life of prayer is, is the life of the Spirit. We have to continue to pray. We have to always pray. And what we mean by prayer is, yes, having set, a, set uh, setting aside time to intentionally pray, to listen, to talk, and uh, to do all those things. But as the catechism teaches that we cannot pray without ceasing if we do not pray sometimes. But our entire lives are, s- are supposed to be a life of prayer, which means our hearts are always united, always being attentive to the Spirit, even as we go about work. And the life of prayer is so deep. Um, there are three types of prayer: vocal, where we just speak to God what's on our hearts and our minds; meditative, where we're actually meditating on the Word of God and letting it soak in our, in our into our bodies, into our interior life; and contemplate, where we just gaze and love at Jesus and let Him move us. To, we're totally imbued by the Spirit to be led by the Spirit uh, to be uh, when we're contemplating Scripture. To be the Holy Spirit allows us to go into the scene and to to feel, to smell, to hear, to feel emotions within the scene of the Gospels. Um, So our lives of prayer, vocal, meditative, and contemplation is deep. (laughs) And that's only by the life of the Spirit. To pray without ceasing starts here is to pray sometimes vocally, meditative, and contemplative so that our entire lives are an entire constant prayer of a life united to Jesus. And if you guys remember that Ezekiel forty-seven image of the life-giving waters, and how Ezekiel it was, in a, it was up to his ankles, and then to his knees, and then to up to his I think his waist, and then he is fully under. I think if I have that right, but that's a beautiful image of vocal prayer. Vocal prayer is just your your feet are in the water. You're kind of talking. Meditative is you're getting deeper into knees or waist, where you're allowing. The Holy Spirit to lead you, but then contemplation is totally being completely given over to the Spirit, and your entire body is consumed, um, and underneath the the life of the Spirit, and this life of, of prayer, this life of the Spirit does not is it's always deepening. There the stages of the stages of union with God is three stages: purgative, where it's like breaking off really big mortal sins in our lives; illuminative, where the Holy Spirit Begins to reveal more and more and more things of the spiritual life, the interior life, of who we are, our identity, and moving in the spirit. And the third stage is unitive, where our our wills, our bodies, our minds, our thoughts are totally in union with God's will. And so, and our lives are a journey. It's not from this black and white one stage to the next. Our lives are a journey, and we can fluctuate in and out, in and out. But our devotion, our affection towards Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit and this life of prayer has to be constant has to be continuing to go because if we do not yield our lives to the spirit we will sin we will fall we will fall short and even if we do that's not to despair on the contrary the spirit lifts us up and so even if we fall we just we repent and we continue moving with full full conviction that the love of christ compels us that we move on because christ jesus called us his own and one more thing while we're on this topic of praying in the Holy Spirit and how this can move us and how we are transformed by the Spirit, by this gift of prayer being united to Christ so that we can be dead to sin and alive to God. I want to briefly touch on of the seven deadly sins or the seven deadly vices and their corresponding seven lively virtues. And they're called seven deadly sins because typically we can always trace back the root of every single sin are one of these seven and the primary one is going to be pride. But wanted to correspond of these seven uh, sins or seven vices that are rooted in every single sin and uh, the seven lively virtues that we uh, can work on by the grace of the Spirit to grow in. So the first deadly sin is pride, and that is being a, having a life centered on yourself. And the lively virtue in and, and contrast to that is humility. So we humble ourselves uh, to God and His truth and to love God and to love other people. And uh, I love how St. Paul says that uh, humble yourselves and to not and count others better than yourselves. And do not be haughty, but to associate with the lowly. And so to find yourself at the lowest place in all circumstances and to serve our brothers and sisters. The second deadly sin is envy. So not only are you jealous, but envy is more so like you feel a sorrow for other people's goods. Like you wish they, did, they didn't have it. This is what the devil, <laughs> That's this is the sin of the devil. Um but lively virtue that uh that contrasts that is admiration, so this admiration or this thanksgiving of other people the gifting in their lives. so going out of our way to praise others is a way that we can do that. The third deadly sin is anger or wrath. The lively virtue that corresponds to that is forgiveness and just being active in engagement to uh just in the name of Jesus renounce the spirit of anger and um to forgive when people are uh you know hurt us. The fourth deadly sin is sloth or laziness. This is like when we just grow, uh, you know, tepid or just lazy in our spiritual life, our devotion, or in any work that the, that God gives us. And the lively virtue for that is zeal, zeal, and it's uh, um, yeah, just to continue a uh, continuing confidence in God's mission and uh, and and continue moving on. The fifth uh, lively or deadly sin is avarice or greed. So, desiring riches or desiring wealth or you know, desiring things for ourselves the corresponding or the contrasting virtue is generosity is to lavishly give to unselfishly give to others the sixth uh, deadly sin is gluttony or to it's not just food or drink but to to want to indulge in really anything uh like you want to have all these earthly goods which they can be good but overindulging them in them is a deadly sin and the, seventh and the, the sixth uh, corresponding lively virtue with gluttony is asceticism or self-discipline um, or self-control. And this is why we pray, fast, and give alms. Um, but uh, So it's training our, our desires and not just saying, like, I want to consume everything for myself, but I'll actually give them away and have self-discipline where I can say no and yes at the proper times. And so the virtue with that is is prudence, knowing when and how and where to do the right things. And the seventh deadly sin is lust. And this can be sexual lust, but it also can be broader than that. But the corresponding virtue with that is, is chastity, is having right-ordered uh, desires and right-ordered um, passions and actions that correspond with, with reality and reason and not just with our feelings. And the last thing I'll just say about these seven deadly sins and seven lively virtues is, yes, deadly sins, all of our sins can be rooted back to one of these seven uh, deadly sins. Um, and then all the corresponding or contrasting virtues are the ones that we just went through. And virtues are typically found in the middle. So for example, if uh, we should have righteous anger. So um, the one side is I don't have any feelings at all. Well, then we're not human if we don't have any feelings. And there's there are injustices in this world that should make us angry. But the other side of that is being so angry that we can't control it. And we go and make it worse um, because we are not rational. So the virtue is found in the middle. There is is that it's it's our righteous and holy anger, gifted with the cardinal virtue of prudence, of knowing and temperance of how we are going to continue moving uh, forward and having this proper balance in that. But so, typically virtue is found in the middle. But virtue is not to be found in the middle of our lives. Virtue it, there is no moderation in virtue. So virtue is typically found in moderation. But there is no such thing as living in moderate virtue, where our entire lives are supposed to be marked fully by virtue, which only comes by the grace of the Holy Spirit. So if if there's anything to take away from all about the Holy Spirit and the life that God wants for us is that the life of a Christian is impossible. That's why we need the Holy Spirit, because we need God. We need God to live in us. We need God, his power, his strength, his courage, his, his wisdom, his thought, his mind. And so, and his love, most importantly, but to continue pressing on because this life as a Christian in the flesh is impossible because our broken humanity is broken. (laughs) And that's why we need the Holy Spirit, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And then the last thing I want to say too, about how we talked about how the Holy Spirit convicts, but not only that, the Holy Spirit converts. And this is a crucial part to know if you're an evangelist and we're we're all evangelists, (laughs) Um, but uh, when we go and evangelize, this should take all the pressure off of us. We are to love and to be moved by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts. The Holy Spirit is the one that converts, and it's not us. So uh, to be yielded by the Spirit and the of the Spirit to work. And then the last thing I wanted to talk about was charisms. We talked about uh, charisms. Well, actually, really quick. Virtues, fruits, gifts, the virtues fruits and gifts of the holy spirit we talked about and that each one of those could have an entire series on so that was not meant to be exhaustive so continue to do your research as well on the fruits gifts and charisms and do workshops of finding your charisms um, and things like that but the last thing i wanted to talk about on charisms really quick when we, i was talking about prophecy Prophecy oftentimes is associated with predicting the future, which that is a part of prophecy, but it also can come through words of knowledge, like God revealing to you a part of this person's life that he wants to speak life into. And we can hear God's voice through hearing, seeing, feeling, or thinking. So we're just, and this is, again, this is I, I'm a part of Encounter Ministries. We have an entire class on this stuff. We have an entire quarter on prophecy. So this, is, again, is not to be exhaustive, but just a little bit more. Is that we can hear God's voice in prayer, by hearing with our ears or seeing if we close our eyes. Whether that's uh, receiving actual visions or just receiving in our imaginations or feeling. Like I, I began first feeling God's presence in my body. Like all of a my knee would start hurting and it'd be like, oh that person has a bum knee. <laughs> um, it's just feeling other people's pain in my body of what God wanted to heal. Um, or then thinking all of a sudden these random thoughts. And this is why we pay attention to our thoughts and we. We renounce the bad and we receive and accept the good and ask God for more. And so we can hear God's voice through hearing, seeing, feeling, and thinking. And it's a, just simply as being moved by his inspirations, which are rooted in love. And all prophecy is to be consistent with public revelation of scripture and tradition uh, by the church. And so nothing, so you, you can't hear God's voice and be like, oh, uh, Jesus is not divine. you know, that's not the the voice of God. Um, and so this, the, it's through public revelation, everything is consistent with public revelation. So we need to know public revelation, scripture and tradition and the life of the church. And so, uh, prophecy is always a, uh, private revelation, so to speak, that needs to be in accord with public revelation. And so the way that we do that is being, uh, knowing the word of God, but also, being moved by his inspirations and staying rooted in love, rooted in love. And charisms, uh, I talked about how charisms do not prove or show that we are saved. And that is true. But charisms can and do grow as we grow in holiness, which in holiness only comes through union and intimacy with God. So charisms flow from intimacy, not the other way around. So intimacy is not from charisms. Charisms flow out of intimacy. It's an overflow from our intimacy with God. So if you think about what we talked about in our episode uh, last time, talking about the charisms, is the, it can be, basically be broken down as this. The Holy Spirit is needed, required for salvation and charisms should be a part of the normal christian life to witness to jesus and to build up the body of christ and we should actually expect miracles because jesus said in john 14 that we will do greater we will do the works of jesus and even greater works than he because he goes to the father so we should expect miracles but we should also make sure that we treat the charisms not with pride or selfishness or thinking that it can prove our salvation but we We receive the gifts that they are, charisms, out of humility and to stay rooted in love and to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and um, to grow in holiness with him and to build up the body of Christ. And so that is the life of charisms. And that's the proper context is the Holy Spirit is needed charisms that should be expected, but charisms do not prove or show how great we are holiness, and we need to check our hearts and stay humble to be meek and to be pure in heart so that we, should, we can see God. And so that brings us to the conclusion of this episode on the more of the Holy Spirit, this extension of the last episode on the life of the Holy Spirit, your advocate, and the one who dwells in us. And so, continue to ask the Holy Spirit for more, continue to rely on the Holy Spirit for everything, for everything, invite him into everything. And I need to do the same. I'm speaking to myself here. So uh, God bless you. I pray that this is really helpful. And we'll say this last little prayer um, here to finish our episode. Come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit and they shall be created and you shall renew the face of the earth.